Well, who's ready for Christmas? Come on, raise your hand. You're ready for Christmas. Five more days till Christmas. Let me just ask you a question this morning. How many of you remember what it was like when you were a kid waiting on Christmas? Come on. It was like, man, Christmas is never, ever going to get here. And then on Christmas Eve, like, it's like, I just can't wait till it gets here in the morning. Then Christmas morning, you're waking up at the crack of dawn, right? Like 536 in the morning, running there to mom and dad's room. Like, you got to get up. It's Christmas time. And there's just... There's just this anticipation and just this incredible expectation that you have. Did Santa come through and did my parents get me the thing that I wanted to get? And am I going to get all the things that I had hoped that I would get at Christmas? How many of you remember what that was like, right? Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you ever got up and opened your Christmas presents on Sunday morning or on Christmas morning? And when you got up, maybe it was a Sunday morning, I don't know. And you got up and after you opened your presents, maybe you felt disappointed disappointed anybody come on you know what I'm saying like I didn't get the thing that I really wanted to get or maybe it was a tough year and mom and dad didn't have enough money or maybe Santa didn't come through or maybe you got socks and underwear anybody ever got socks and underwear some of you were on the naughty list and stuff and so you open up your gifts and it's like man I had hoped for something but then I didn't get what I had expected I didn't get what I hoped for. You know, I, I remember one of my one of my favorite Christmases, one of my favorite Christmas stories. In fact, I've told it to you several times, but it's just so perfect at Christmas time. I remember when I was eight years old, the gift that I wanted more than anything was I wanted to be a drummer and I wanted a set of drums. And I'm telling you, I wanted to be a rock star and I didn't want no kids set of drums. You've seen the kids sets. No, no. I wanted the real set. You know what I'm talking about? And so I start. I begged and pleaded with my mom and dad, please at Christmas, please get me drums. And I started in like June and like for six months, man, I'm, I'm talking about the drums and then Christmas time comes around. I'm sitting on Santa's lap and telling him I want drums and I'm writing letters to my parents saying, I want drums. I want drums. I want drums. And man, I had my hopes so high, this expectation that I'm going to get this set of drums. Well, my parents, being the great parents that they were, they wanted to get me what I wanted, but drums are pretty expensive. You know what I'm saying? And so in order to get drums, I couldn't get anything else because the drums were really expensive, but that created a little bit of a problem. How are they going to take drums and wrap them up and put them underneath the Christmas tree? I'm going to know, right? So they wrapped up empty Boxes. I'm not kidding. And put them under the tree. And my sister's got all her gifts. And my mom's got all her gifts. And my dad's got all of his gifts. And Christmas morning rolls around. And we go in underneath the Christmas tree. And we're pulling out the gifts. And in my family, what we would do is we did one by one. Anybody do that in your family? Like it, my wife's family, they just open them, tear them all at once. But in my family, we did one by one, one gift at a time. So it comes my turn to open up my gift. And I open up. And it's a an empty box. Can you imagine this as an eight-year-old kid? And I'm going, what happened here? Okay, maybe mom made a mistake. Maybe she forgot to put the gift in there or something. So I think, okay, it's okay. So my sister opens hers, and it's like a Barbie doll or something. And then it comes back around to my time, and I open up the box. And once again, it's an empty box. 
and I'm going, what is going on? And my parents aren't saying anything and I'm freaking out. Like I'm starting to cry and I'm like, where's my, where's my gifts? And my sister opens up and she's got, you know, like a makeup set or whatever. And it comes around. I open up an empty box and it goes around for about 10 or 12 presents until I'm going, what in the world? Maybe I was on the naughty list, something. This year, what in the world has happened until it finally got to my very last gift? And my parents said, this is a special gift we want you to open up. And so I open up this box and inside the box is a set of drumsticks. Now, you would think that I would be smart enough to figure this out. But I guess as an eight year old little boy, I just wasn't that sharp. I don't know. But I picked up the drumsticks, and no lie, tears coming down my face, and I said, drumsticks? What am I going to do with drumsticks if I don't have any drums? <laughs> my parents took me to the back room, and there it was all set up, my drum set, and it was the greatest Christmas Ever. And, you know, I think about that story, and it's a, it's a pretty kind of silly and funny story. And yet I think that many of you maybe are here today, and that might be kind of the way life is going for you. Maybe you have some dreams and some hopes and some expectations of the way that life ought to be. And maybe you just feel like one by one you're opening up empty boxes and your hopes and your expectations and all the things that you anticipate and the way that you thought life was going to go is not really going that way and maybe you even walk into this room today and maybe you feel just a little bit disappointed. Maybe you hear that the message is about hope and maybe you even think, but what do I have to hope for? Because so many things have disappointed me and people have let me down and circumstances have let me down and I put my hope in money or I put my hope in my job or maybe even I put my hope in a pastor or a spiritual leader or a church or Christians or a mom or a dad or whatever and they disappoint me and they hurt me and maybe you even walk into this room today going, I just don't feel very hopeful. But in this series, what we have learned is we have learned that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have hope. We have something to be hopeful about. In fact, in the scripture in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that there is a hope that does not disappoint us. And here's the good news here today, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, hope is not just something that you do. Like, I hope we have a good Christmas, or I hope I get what I wanted on Christmas. This morning, but as followers of Jesus Christ, here's what we've learned that hope is not just something we do, but hope is actually something that we have. Even more specifically than that, hope is someone that we have. That hope is not about the, the absence of difficulties, it's not about perfect circumstances and situations happening in our lives, but hope is about the presence and the power and the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ working in our lives. We have learned over this last several weeks that there is a hope that does not disappoint. And we've had kind of this running definition that we've talked about every single week. And we're going to look at it one more time this morning. It's going to be there on the screen for you. Why don't you say it aloud with me today one more time. Now, let me just remind you, you got to move your lips and, and uh, things have to come out of your mouth. Sound has to come out of your mouth. So we're going to try this. You ready? One, two, three. It goes like this. Hope is a strong and confident expectation. Man, you guys did good. Give yourselves a hand. Hope is a strong and confident 
expectation. There's this expectation that comes that even when, I, when, when life is not certain, even when I don't know how things are going to work out, I can have this expectation that it's going to be good. That even when things aren't good, I know that God is good and he is working for my good. And if I'm a follower of Christ I, and I have relationship with Jesus Christ, that I can have hope through him. I can have this strong and confident expectation. And that's what we've been talking about over this last four weeks. And we've just kind of broken it down really into four things as we've looked at the scripture and we've looked at the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that when Jesus came, he brought this hope. We've just kind of narrowed it down to four different things that we see. The first week we talked about the hope of God's favor. So everybody say favor. Hope of God's favor. This is what the angel proclaimed when he, when he showed up to the shepherds on that night. He said, glory to God in the highest peace on earth to whom God's what? To whom his favor rests. We talked about that. Then we talked about the hope of God's presence. So everybody say presence. The hope of God's presence, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that even when we feel alone, we are not alone because his presence, Emmanuel, he is always with us. Then last week, man, we talked about a good one. We talked about the hope of God's power. So everybody say power. Talked about the power of God. He is a mighty God that no matter what the circumstance or the situation of your life, you can have hope that God is greater than your circumstance. Now, today, we're going to talk about my favorite one of the entire series. In fact, it's the one that the whole series is built upon. It's the reason that we have hope today. It's the reason that we even celebrate what we're celebrating this time of the year. And, and we find it in this, in this very famous verse of scripture. In fact, most of you probably know it, might even know it by heart today. It's the one that they hold up in the end zone at the football game. It is John 3.16. In fact, if you know it, why don't you say it aloud with me? If you don't know it, it's on the screen. It goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here is the hope that we have. The hope that we have is the hope of God's love. What an incredible hope. When you think about how much God loved you, when you think about this passage that God loved us so much that he sent us the best that he had, his one and only son to come to this earth, the greatest gift ever given. When you think about the fact that we don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it. When I think about how bad I am, when I think about how bad y'all are because I know some of y'all are pretty bad when I think about how bad we are here is the hope that I have that even though I'm bad even though I don't deserve it even though I'm a sinner that God still loves me man that's something to say man about that's something to have a hope in our heart for that no matter what God loves me in fact this is what the apostle Paul is talking about in this chapter in the book of Romans. I'm talking, this is one of the most hopeful chapters in the entire Bible. And I want us to look at it today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight. You can also follow along in your, in your Bible app this morning. And we're going to be all over this, all over this chapter today, but I want us to start by looking at, at this verse in verse number 35. Let's read it together. It says, who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. For as it is written, for your your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, hey guys, here's a reason for hope. The reason to have hope today is that God loves you, that nothing that you ever face in this life can ever separate you from the love of God. That even though we were like sheep that were being led to the slaughter, that even though we deserve to die, that God loved us so much that he sent us the greatest gift ever, better than any Christmas gift you ever had, better than my drums, better than your Red Rider BB gun, better than whatever it is that you hope for. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth earth because he loves us. This morning, I want to talk about it for just a couple of minutes. If you're taking notes, I just want to look at this chapter and mention three things about the hope that we have in the love of God. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The hope that I have is that God loves me even when I do wrong. Isn't that an incredible hope? That no matter what I do, even, even when I sin, even when I mess up, even when I make mistakes, that God still loves me. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, okay, pastor, maybe God loves you because you're a pastor, you know, and you got that pastor thing going on, and you got that nice little pastor life, and you, you know, you, you do everything right, and, you know, my wife would say otherwise, but you do it all right, and you, you know, you read your Bible all the time, and you pray, and you come to church every Sunday whether you want to or not, and you're a pastor, and God loves you, but how could God ever love me? Like, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the words that I've said. You don't know the sins that I've committed, the mistakes that I've made. In fact, I don't go to church every Sunday. Some of you even would say, hey, I'm the CEO of the church, Christmas and Easter only. And that's the only reason I'm here today because I'm here because it's Christmas and my brother-in-law dragged me here. I felt guilty. I know we got to go to church at least on Christmas. And you don't know my life, Pastor. How could you say that God loves me? If you knew what I have done, you wouldn't say that God loves me. And yet, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Look what he says. There is no condemnation. Everybody say, no condemnation. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of, life-giving, of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. For the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God loves us even in our sinful state. And no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how much you give in the offering or how many times you say amen or how many church services you go to, no matter how many old ladies you you help across the street, no matter how good of a person you are, even if you did everything in this book, you would never be able to measure up. We're all sinful. 
We fall short in so many ways. The law of Moses could never save us, but the love of God, the love of God reached down to us just as we are. In fact, Paul said it like this in Romans 5 and verse 8. He says that God proved his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, here's the deal is that God didn't say, well, I'm going to look down there and when they get their act all cleaned up and when they get it all together and when they do everything right, then, then I'll send my son. No, the Bible says that God loved us even in our sinful state and he sent his son to die for us. That God loves me even when I do wrong. There's a Bible word for that. You want to get deep here today? You want, to, you want to learn some Bible words? There's a Bible word for that. The Bible word is called grace. Everybody look at your neighbor and say grace. Grace. That's what grace is all about. Grace is, is the fact that even though we don't deserve it, and even though, even though we are sinners, that God loved us even, even in that state that we were in. In fact, it's through grace and by grace that we can even be saved. That's what Paul talked about in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, for it is by grace. Everybody say, by grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, for it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul says it like this. Hey, it's not your good works that makes God love you. It's not your good works that, makes, that, that causes you to be able to have salvation. In fact, if you could earn your way to God, if you could earn your way to salvation, then you could brag about it and go, look how good I am and look what I have done. But Paul says it's not about your works. It's about God's grace. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how good he is. And he loves us and he gives us, because of his great love for us, he gives us this grace that even while we are sinners, he still loves us and he still gives himself for us. It's called grace. But here's what you have to understand. Grace is never an excuse for just doing whatever you want. In fact, some of you, even right now, you're hearing this and you're going, man, that's awesome. Like, God loves me even if I do wrong. Well, I'll just do whatever I want, you know. I'll just live however I want. I mean, I don't have to do any of that kind of stuff because God still loves me and it will, be, it will be awesome. But you know what? Paul actually spoke to that in the book of Romans chapter 6. And, and look what he says about it. He says, should we just keep going on sinning so that grace can increase? And then look what he says. He says, by no means. Everybody say, by no means. You know, I studied that a little bit, really in-depth in the Greek and stuff like that. You know what that meant right there? By no means. You know what that meant? It meant, heck no. <laughs> Paul says, should we just be like, hey, I'll do whatever I want because there's grace and it covers it. And God loves me no matter what I do. And even if I do wrong, he still loves me so I can just live however I want and whatever. And Paul goes, heck no. That's not what God has called us to do. You see, in fact, if you're taking notes, you might write this down. Grace doesn't give us an excuse to live how we want. It gives us the power to live how God wants. Come on, that was good. Like, you should tweet that out. Hashtag amen. Good preaching, brother. Here's the deal. Is that grace is not an excuse to live how we want and do what we want. You know what it is? It's the power to be able to do what God wants us to do. And that's the hope that we have, that God loves us so much that he loves us even when we do wrong. But here's the deal. He loves us too much to let us just keep doing wrong. And so here's what he does. He gives us grace. He gives us the power to not just be forgiven for doing wrong, but actually have the power to do right. 
And then when we really understand, I'm telling you, some of you, I don't think you're really getting it. If you really get it, when we really get how much God loves us, it changes something on the inside of us. When you really, like really understand how much God loves you, it changes your desires and your wants. And instead of going, okay, well, there's grace, and so I can do whatever I want, and let's see how close to the edge I can get without falling off, and let's make a list. Okay, grace covers this, but it doesn't cover this, and I can do whatever I want and see how how worldly I can live and whatever. But when we really understand God's love, it changes our desires, and no longer do we desire to see how close we can get to the edge, but instead we desire to see how close can I get to God instead of how can I just do whatever I want and know that God loves me and he has forgiven me instead it's how can I live my life to please him and that's what grace does for us in fact I love what what the scripture says in Titus it says in Titus 2 and verse 11 it says for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people and here's what it does it teaches us to say no everybody say no It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope of the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what the scripture says, that grace actually gives you the power to be able to say no to ungodliness so that you can say yes to godliness. And you no longer have to live your life going, well, does this cover it? And is this covered? And does God still love me because I've messed up? Because instead, you know that God loves you so much. And then you in turn love him so much that you just want to live your life to please him. And there's no fear in that. That I can, I can know that I'm living my life. That even when I do blow it, and you will, even when I do make mistakes... I don't have to run from God, but instead I can run to Him. Instead of being worried about, well, when I come to God, is He going to be mad at me or is He going to punish me for what I've done? Instead, I come to Him knowing that He loves me. In fact, that's what the Scripture tells us, that perfect love drives out all fear. Some of you are here even this morning. You're thinking, yeah, okay, maybe God loves me, but if I come to him, then he's going to punish me for all this wrong that I have done. But when we truly understand his love, we understand that, hey, there may be discipline for the wrong that we have done, but it's only because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And we can come to him with no fear. Perfect love drives out all fear, knowing that, that the hope that we have is that God loves us even when we do wrong. So everybody say that with me. God loves me even when I do wrong. That was kind of weak. Let's try that again. God loves me even when I do wrong. Number two, write this one down. The hope that we have is that God loves me even when others do wrong. You know, for some of you here today, the problem is not the wrong that you have done that causes you to doubt God's love. You've understood what grace is all about, but some of you are here today, and the reason for your doubt in God's love is not what you've done wrong, but what others have done wrong to you. In fact, all of us face that at times. Some of you maybe even are here today, and people have hurt you, and people have have said things or done things, or people have disappointed you. The truth of the matter is, we all have some trust issues. 
Maybe some of you are here today. Maybe you got some trust issues. Maybe you had a dad or a mom who wasn't there for you or who hurt you or abandoned you or left you or, or were absent as you were growing up and you have a hard time trusting anyone because of those relationships and the people that have hurt you. Maybe some of you, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe they cheated on you or maybe they let you down. Maybe they did some things that, that hurt you and so now it's difficult for you to trust. Maybe some of you are here today and maybe some relationships have been broken and people have said things, maybe even over this past year, this past few months, and you find yourself going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and you hear even the pastor talking. Some of you, maybe even you've been hurt by people in church, or you've been hurt by a spiritual leader, or a pastor, or Christians, and you think, why would they do that? They're Christians, they should know better, and you've been so hurt by all of the things that someone has said, or someone has done, and now you go, but I can't trust the pastor, and I can't trust the Christian, can't even trust Christians? How in the world can I trust God when all of these people have hurt me and they've done things that have, that have disappointed me and let me down? And if God really loved me, why would he let these things happen to me? And how can I ever trust God because of all these people that have done wrong? Paul understood that. Look what he says in Romans 8 and verse 31. He says, but what shall we say about Such wonderful things as these. If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? You know, I think Paul was kind of saying there, he was saying, even when others are against us, even when others have betrayed us, even when others have hurt us, even when others have wronged us, even when others have let us down, we can know that God will never let us down. That if God is for us, it really doesn't matter who's been against us. That God is on our side and it doesn't really matter who has disappointed us. And the truth is today that people will let you down, but God still loves you. People will hurt you, but God still loves you. People will abandon you, but God still loves you. People will disappoint you, but there is a hope that never disappoints us. And God loves us, and we can trust in his love. And the hope that we have is that even when others have wronged us, God still loves us. You know, it reminds me of this powerful verse. We hear it every year around this time of year It's kind of a famous Christmas verse. It was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah almost 800 years before Jesus came. He says in Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. See, God says, hey, I'm a father. And I'm going to love you even when others have abandoned you or hurt, hurt you. And some of you... Maybe you hear that today, that God is a father, and maybe that doesn't actually draw you to God. Maybe that even makes you trust him less. Maybe because maybe you had a dad that wasn't there for you the way that he should have been. In fact, I actually tried to leave this part out of the message, but the Lord just kept bringing it back to my attention that maybe some of you are here today that that maybe a dad was not the dad that he should have been. Maybe he was unapproachable, or maybe he was unavailable, or maybe he had too high of expectations for you, or maybe you've never even known your dad, and so you even hear about a father, God being a father, and you go, but I couldn't trust my father. How could I ever trust God to be my father? But here's what you've got to understand is that he's not an earthly father. The scripture says he is an everlasting father. He is a perfect father. In fact, the scripture says it like this in Psalm 103 and verse 13, that he is a father to us 
tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. Here's the deal, that even when your dad wasn't there for you, even if your mom wasn't what they should have been, even if your spouse abandoned you, even if someone you loved took advantage of you, or or God forbid, even abused you, and you look at that situation and you go, how could I ever trust anyone? How could I ever trust God? But God says, I'm an everlasting father. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I just want to hold you in my arms and draw you close that God loves you I love you God says even when others do wrong the hope that we have that God loves us even when we do wrong that God loves us even when others do wrong check this out number three if you're taking notes write this down the hope that we have is that God loves me even when things go wrong you know I don't know about you but sometimes Sometimes I just kind of doubt a little bit when stuff's going wrong. You ever been there before? Like you just have one of those days and stuff is just not going wrong or not going right in your life and the car breaks down, you have a flat tire, you lose your job, all that stuff and you're going, God, if you love me, why would you let this happen? Come on, am I the only one that's ever been that way? It's like, man, I paid my tithe. Why can't I pay the rent? You know what I'm saying? Like I've been to church and I've been praying and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for my loved one who got cancer to be healed and then they weren't healed. Instead, they died and you go, God, where were you at? in that and if, if you really love me then why would you allow all this bad stuff to be happening in my life and why would you allow this bad stuff to happen all around us in our society and in our community and all of this stuff and sometimes you look at life and sometimes you go if God really loves me then why would he allow this stuff to happen to me I think this was the conflict that Paul might have been having here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 and look what he says does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trouble and calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. Paul goes, hey, when I, when I experience this bad stuff, sometimes I go, hey, does God no longer love me? He says, does it mean he doesn't love me when things go wrong? And then look what he says in big, bold letters. He says, no, no, in all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who what who loves us man if anyone had a reason to doubt God's love it was Paul I mean you think about his life when he's talking here he's describing his own life persecution and trouble and calamity and hunger and destitute and danger threatened by death and yet Through all of that, Paul comes to this final conclusion that even when things go wrong, God still loves me. Here's the truth here today, guys. News flash. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be a burden to you. But here's what I want you to know that stuff happens. Everybody just look at your neighbor. Tell them stuff happens. It does. You know, if you came today expecting me to just tell you that if you just come follow Jesus, everything is going to go good in your life. You're never going to have any more problems from this point on. I'm telling you, you came to the wrong place. Because whenever I study the scripture, you know what I see? I see people who love God with all of their heart, and yet they still face struggles. They still face problems. You see people like Paul who had miraculous conversion to just continually giving his life fully for Jesus. And what do you see? You see storms and you see shipwrecks and you see beatings and you see struggles and you see persecution and you see problems over and over and over. I know you're saying, Pastor, it's Christmas Sunday. You need to be more positive. Okay, I'm positive. You're going to have problems. That joke works every time. It worked in the 9 o'clock service too. 
I'm telling you, the truth of the matter is, Jesus said it like this. He says, in this world, how many of you are still in this world? You in this world? All right, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're in this world, here's what is guaranteed. In this world, Jesus guaranteed, you will have what? You will have trouble. As long as you're on this planet, until you get to heaven, guess what? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. If you're surprised by that, then you need to go read the Bible, because it's all through the Bible. Trouble, struggle, problems, difficulties. But here's what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. But here's what he says. But take heart. Everybody say, take heart. I think we could probably substitute some other words in there. Have hope. Take heart. Be encouraged today. Have a greater expectation. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Have hope. Why? For I have overcome the world. Here's the great news here this morning is that even when I have trouble, even when things go wrong, even when stuff happens in life, I can have this hope that God still loves me. And even better than that, I can have this hope that God has already overcome all of the troubles and the trials and the problems that I am victim victorious through our Lord Jesus Christ. But wait, there's even more than that. And the hope that I have is that Jesus can actually take those troubles and those struggles and those problems and those trials and he can actually take them and work them together for my good. Come on, I'm getting excited. In fact, this is what Paul talked about in Romans 8. I told you this is a hopeful passage of Scripture. Look what he says. And we know. Guess what that's talking about? Hey, we expect, we know, we have hope. And we know that God causes everything. Everybody say everything. God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes for them. Here's the hope that we have that not only when I go through struggles do I have God's love and that's, that would be enough. But no, that's not all. That God actually has already overcome all the struggles and the trials. And because I have relationship with him, I actually am an overcomer through the love of Christ. But even better than that, that God can take the troubles and the trials and the problems and the circumstances, and he can take everything and work it together for my good. That's how much he loves me. And I'm telling you, when you understand how much God loves you, it changes everything. It changes everything because when you mess up, when you fall, when you sin, you don't run from God, you run to him because you know he loves you. When others hurt you, when others abandon you, when others disappoint you, You don't just say, well, I can't trust anybody or I can't trust God. You realize, hey, people will disappoint me, but there's a God who will never disappoint me. And there is a hope that does not disappoint. And so I put my trust in him and not in people and circumstances and situations and stuff that might disappoint me. And even when stuff goes wrong, even when problems and pain and trials and struggles come into my life, I have this hope that God loves me anyway. And he will actually take it and work it together for my good. So you say, Pastor, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good thing to hope about. But, I mean, what, what do I do with all of that? Like, how do I respond to God's love? Here's the deal. There's only one way. There's really only one reasonable response. When you think about how much God loves you, how much he has done for you, how much he has given to you, when you think about the love of God, there's really only one reasonable way to respond. We, we find it in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Look what it says. So brothers and sisters, 
since God has shown us such great mercy. You could, you could substitute the word love or grace right there. Since God has shown us such great mercy, since he has given us his grace, since he has loved us so much. Here's what Paul says that we ought to do. He says, I beg you to offer what? Your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. Here's what Paul says. When you think about God's mercy and his grace, how he loves you even when you don't deserve it, when you think about all that he has done for you, there's really only one way to respond. When you think about his gift to you, the only response is to give yourself back to him.